others who have come seeking a king again. Um, I love the, the picture of the Magi who come, and, and though it's a baby, they worship. Um, it seems like they were on to something that others weren't on to. And I pray that, God, you really enlighten us by your Spirit to, to understand who Jesus is, um, that he releases people from bondage, that he heals, um, that he is God, um, and that will lead us um, to worship again. We pray this in your name, amen. Okay, to, uh, to begin with, you know, whenever I, we've been doing a Christmas series for four weeks now, and, uh, and studying it four weeks, it's interesting, you know, there's four weeks, one month, 12 months in a year, you spend, we spend a lot of time uh, focusing on Christmas, and by the end, this is, this is our, our fourth and last Sunday doing Advent, and by that time, I think, wow, we've gone through this a lot. You know, this is, um, and this is something that I'm like, well, what, what do we say that we haven't said yet? And, and yet, as I was studying last night, I was, I was again just, just really um, amazed at the story that didn't just begin in Bethlehem, but began far earlier on in the Old Testament and didn't end in Bethlehem, but today still has profound effect on us. So I'm going to start out with some trivia to just, be, and that's exactly what it is, it's, it's trivia. Um, this isn't important to know, but I think it's helpful because it will help us see that oftentimes it does become very common to us, or just the things we say, right, we sing Christmas carols and we're like, Yes, I don't know why we're not seeing something else. It's just this Christmas time. Um, so, trivia, Noel. Does anyone know what Noel means? Yes, Stephanie. Birth. Yes, it does. So, Noel is just this. And actually, no one actually really knows where the word Noel came from. But it's always used to refer to Jesus' birth, the Advent, right? Um, another word, Advent. What does Advent mean? We've talked about this the last three weeks with the Advent series. <laughs> what does it mean? Danny. Uh, no. Thank you, though. That was brave. Anyone else? Advent. Nate. Yes, coming. Sorry. She didn't raise her hand, but she beat you to it. Advent means coming. Jesus is coming. So when we do the Advent series, is the celebration of Jesus' coming. Um, this is a trick one. And all, most of you guys probably know this. How many wise men were there? How many? Esther, I see you shaking your head. Yes, it does not say. We do not know how many wise men there are. There were three gifts, so we assume that there were three wise men. But we don't actually know how many wise men there were. Um, we do know a lot about this scenario of Jesus' birth. Um, it was read to you by... Um, by Pat and Luke, when it, it talks about the wise men coming, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. 
Um, and so it was during the reign of King Herod. It was in Bethlehem. I did some interesting research on Bethlehem, and we're going to focus today on, on Jesus' coming to Bethlehem. There's a song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and this is one of the, the lines in it. It says, Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. And I think this, has, this is really interesting to us, not only seeing what Bethlehem was like back then, but Bethlehem today. Um, if, Aaron, if you go to the, the next slide... Here we are. Oh, that's tragically... Oh, here, it's not plugged in, so it's... Might be a little better. Okay. Um, What you can see vaguely, darkly, um, is a... uh, This is a a wall. Bethlehem today is surrounded by a 30-foot wall, um, which... um, Bethlehem is, is now a territory owned by the, or run by the Palestinians, and then everything outside of that is, is Israel land. Um, and it's interesting, for this, this wall encloses some um, Israelite territories and some Palestinian territories. But the reason why they built this huge wall, which is actually larger than any wall, any prison wall that they have in, Beth, in, in uh, all of Israel, <laughs> that is surrounding this town, not to keep, get this, not to keep people um, out necessarily, but to keep people in. Israel wants the Palestinians inside and not out where they are. Um, So it's this place that is in in utter conflict right now. Um, And this is really interesting because this is actually what Bethlehem looked like also in Jesus' time, right? Bethlehem was a place where um, King Herod was. King Herod was not a liked ruler. He was a violent ruler. He suppressed the people violently. Um, and so also at that time, there was, this, there was this conflict. And that's the world Jesus was born into. And that is the world that it still defines Bethlehem today. So I'm going to read you a long excerpt from, uh, um, from National Geographic about Bethlehem. Um, It was made in 2007, uh, recently after the wall was completed. And and this is really, really interesting. It has a lot of very pertinent information. And so please, it's long, but I think it's all so valuable. So so please pay attention. Um, This is what it says. It says, This is not how Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem, but this is how you enter now. You wait at the wall. It is a daunting concrete barricade three stories high, Thorned with razor wires, standing beside it, you feel as though you're at the base of a dam. Israeli soldiers armed with assault rifles examine your papers. They search your vehicle. No Israeli civilian by military order is allowed in. And few Bethlehem residents are permitted out. The reason the wall exists here, according to the Israeli government, is to keep terrorists away from Jerusalem. Bethlehem and Jerusalem are only six miles apart. Uh, If you live in anywhere else in the world, that's 10 kilometers. Though in the compressed and fractious geography of the region, this place for this this region, this place this places them in a different realm. It can take a few months for a postcard to go from one city to the other, though it's only six miles away. Bethlehem is in the West Bank on land taken by Israel during the Six Day War in 1967. It's a Palestinian city. The majority of its 35,000 residents are Muslim. In 1900, more than 90% were Christian. Today, Bethlehem is only one-third Christian. 
And this proportion is steadily shrinking as Christians leave for Europe or America. At least a dozen suicide bombers have come from the city and the surrounding district. The truth that, little, that Bethlehem, the little town venerated during Christmas, is one of the most contentious places on earth. So this is today, Bethlehem. If, you clear, if you're cleared to enter, a sliding steel door like that in a boxcar grinds open. The soldiers step aside and you drive through the temporary gap in the wall. Then the door slides back, squealing on its tracks, booming shut. You're in Bethlehem. So there's this massive, massive 30-foot door right, that, that you have to go through and to enter into Bethlehem. The city at the scrabbly hem of the Judean desert is built on several broad, flat-topped hills, stingy with vegetables. The older homes are made of pale yellow stone, wedged along steep, narrow streets. A couple of battered taxis ply the roads. Drivers heave on their horns. At an outdoor stall, lamb meat rotates on a spit, dripping fat. Men sit on plastic chairs and sip from small glasses of thick Arabic coffee. Inside the wall along the Bethlehem's border are three Palestinian refugee camps, boxy apartments heaped atop one another in haphazard piles. Every breeze through the camp alley ruffles the corners of hundreds of martyr posters, young men staring impassively, some gripping M16s. Many are victims of the Israeli Defense Forces. Others have blown themselves up in Israeli mall or restaurant or bus. Arabic text on the posters extol the, greatest, the greatness of these deeds. So this is what it looks like. Thousands of posters hanging about these, these men who have given themselves in war and extolling the greatness of their deeds. The Church of Nativity is almost hidden. It looks like a stone fortress, walls several feet thick with a facade, of, with a facade devoid of ornamentation. The interior of the church, cool and dark, is as, the spare, is, is as spare as the outside. Four rows of columns in an open nave, lead to the main altar. There are no pews, just a collection of cheap folding chairs. Mangers are carved out of the rock. Here in the bullseye of this volatile place, ringed by Jewish settlements, imprisoned within a wall, encircled by refugee camps, hidden amid a forest of minarets, tucked below the floor of an ancient church, is a silver star. This, it's believed, is where Jesus was born. This small church, no pews, little folding chairs, no ornamentation. Some of the people you meet around Bethlehem quote from the Bible, some recite from the Quran, some chant from the Torah, some show their fields, some point to their olive groves, some invoke history, some envision the future. Some pray with their knees on the ground, some with their foreheads on the ground, some with their feet planted firmly but with their torsos turning and swaying. Some throw stones and some drive tanks, some wrap themselves with explosives. But when you get right down to it, when you boil away the hatred and the politics and the wars that have shaken the planet, one thing most people are talking about when it comes to Bethlehem is land, a tiny scrap of land, a wind-scoured, water-starved, rock-strewn bit of land. This is not just land, said a local rabbi. This is holy land. There's no oil, nor gold, nor diamonds. It is desert, but this is God's palace. Just looking out his window, this rabbi sees why everyone craves this land. For the Jews, still awaiting their Messiah, he says it is possible that he will arrive right here, 
in the eroded back country of Bethlehem. Right? And isn't that amazing? So for these Jews that are still there, still expecting the Messiah to come, waiting right in this very volatile land. This is what, what the writer says, and, and this, is, this makes sense after you've heard all this. He says, It seems a fluke that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. After all, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the town 90 miles north. But according to the New Testament book of Luke, the Roman Empire at the time, Caesar Augustus, was conducting a census that required all people to return to their hometowns, and Joseph was a descendant of David. Famously, the book of Luke relates that there was no room in the inn, so Jesus was born amid the livestock, perhaps in the grotto, over which the church of the nativity was eventually built. Right? This is so fascinating, right? It does. It does seem like a fluke, right? If, if, if you're... If, you think of Bethlehem today, and I'm going to show you a few more pictures, and then think this is what it looked like. Very similar, just different technology, right? The Christians themselves are not immune to fighting. There's Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Armenian Orthodox that are all fighting to claim the Church of Nativity. Uh, And this is the last paragraph. It says, The air in the grotto, dank and musty as the smell of history, the conflict played out in Bethlehem, are capable of transcending borders. The future of millions of people, after all, is at stake. A major breakdown could engulf much of the globe. It is easy to think of Bethlehem as the center of the world, says the mayor of Bethlehem. This can't be a place where calm never exists. If the world is ever ever going to have peace... It has to start right here. That's beautiful. That's where peace started, according to the tradition in the Gospels. I'm going to show you a few more pictures. And this is, I think, really important for us to, um, to grasp. So this is just another picture of the wall here, the wall surrounding Bethlehem, which you can see what is inside, right here at the left, and everything outside, right? What's outside is is Israeli land. What's inside is Palestinian land. Okay, if you want to go to the next slide. Um, so this is lines. To get in to work, you have to have a wife and a child. Right? Why? Because you have something to lose. Right? So you would, so they, they assume that they'd have less people that would, would, um, would kill themselves in defense of a cause. Next slide. So this is, the red line is the border of the land. Um, showing you, this is massive. This is, I think it said five times larger than the Great Wall of China. 470 miles. Huge. 30 foot wall. Um, okay, next slide. So this is, uh, there's, there's a bunch of uh, cartoons that are made to, to point out the... Um, the sad silliness of it. This is Mary and Joseph down here on the right coming up to the wall of, of Bethlehem, right, in this a little town of Bethlehem. This is a postcard you can buy of them. Uh, what, would it, what would it have been like, right? I mean, but imagine them going through checkpoint after checkpoint in their own day, right, as they went through having to pay taxes on their way. The whole reason why the census was taken was Why? So Caesar can get more taxes, right? And so they have to pass checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint. Sounds familiar? Yes, that's the Middle East today. Okay, next slide. This is uh, Joseph getting frisked and um, metal detector, right? 
all is calm, all is bright, caption at the bottom. Uh, very interesting. Uh, next slide, please. So this, the wall is covered in graffiti. There, there's phenomenal graffiti on this thing. And you see, you see what people are going through as they're expressing themselves. Here's a, a little girl patting down a soldier. Is one of the graffitis. Um, next slide. So, and this is profound. I think this is the last slide. Is, um, where here's one of the graffiti pieces. Two little boys playing in sand. This, this hole that, that was, uh, this picture painted into the wall as if somebody had, had broken through the wall. And what's on the other side? Paradise. <laughs> yes. This, this island where you have trees and sand. Right, and so that, that, is, that is their messianic hope right now, right? That maybe this wall will be gone. Maybe this, again, could be paradise someday, right? They're, they're craving that, and you can see it in their art. Um, and so I want you guys to feel this as we enter the story of Christmas, um, which is not at all unlike what we see today as Mary and Joseph make their long trek to Bethlehem. Okay. We're going to, um, and actually, this was a point I just got this morning. I, I found out one of the news headlines this morning was stabbed U.S. tourist body found near Jerusalem. Right? And so this is, I mean, this conflict is still constantly before us. Right? Near Jerusalem, six miles from Bethlehem. This is what's going on. So two points is what I have for you today. That Jesus is the answer for all people, and that Jesus is the answer for the individual person. Um, I think we have to ask, um, so Jesus came. We look to him as the Messiah, and there's still, there's still war in the Middle East. Um, we don't know how to, how to encourage peace with with sending Hillary Clinton or whoever we'll send next, right, to try, to try to work on an agreement. It's not working. What will work, right? Jesus' peace is what we say. He's the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Um, but why does it seem to help so little in Bethlehem, right? This place of his birth that is filled with so much conflict. The first, I want to talk to you guys about the wise men a little bit. Um, the wise men are this really strange group of men, um, assuming that there's more than one of them. Um, we're not really, sh- like the word Noel, we're not really sure where the word magi comes from. Um, Daniel in the Old Testament was in charge of a group of magi. And so what it was, as we assume, was this group of magicians in the Persian Empire. Um, so... And that's not usually talked about because people don't like talking about magicians coming and worshiping Jesus. Right? We like to think of them as wise men. <laughs> but here we have these guys coming this long way to celebrate who? One who would bring peace. Right? Um, there are sources, and it's amazing, um, all these secular historians who... Um, Seneca, Cicero, Tacitus, who are all pointing to not only a Jewish hope for a Messiah, but that all of this Eastern world, right? Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all these people are, are really anticipating 
one that would come and, uh, and save them. And so I think what's cool, not only is you have this response of people that we don't really know where they came from, right? It just says the East. And it also symbolizes for us that Jesus is for everyone. I love the scene around the manger, right? It's very multiracial, right? The only people not there are, you know, white people. But (laughs) it's interesting, right? But you have this incredible scene around the manger, and you have these guys from the east um, who came, and then technically they're probably not around the manger. It's probably Jesus was around two years old. But they come, and who knows where they came from? But you know what it shows? It shows that God is calling people, right? Already. And you see this in Simeon, who um, Erica read the story in Luke. They come, and there's this man who's been waiting in the temple. He had this, this revelation from God that he would see the Messiah before um, before he died. And what does he say? He says, Sovereign Lord, now I can die in peace. I have seen your salvation prepared for all people. He is a light revealed um, to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. And so it's this hope for all people. And that is, I, I do want us to, to grasp to this today, um, that if sometimes we lose how beautiful Jesus' coming is, is because we don't realize that there was a time when not everyone understood this long story of the Old Testament that God had promised through the line of David, a Messiah that would come. And it describes this really well in, um, in Ephesians. Ephesians 2.11 through 22. I'm going to read 11, and then I'm just going to jump down to 14. It says, the first is good. It just says, don't forget, you Gentiles, that you were once outsiders. Right? Gentiles are people in, in, the Testament, in the New Testament just identified as not being Jewish. So they're, they're not part of this people that were known as being the children of God. It says, remember that you guys were once outsiders. It says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He used united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. And this is awesome. Right? This wall that you saw, right? That is still trying to cause separation between Palestinians and Israel's. Why? Because they're still waiting for a Messiah. And we don't need to, right? Jesus came to break down the wall of hostility, right? Whether it's in Birmingham, Alabama, or whether it's in Bethlehem, right? Jesus has come for all people. And that that needs to be one of the parts that makes us worship on Christmas, right? Is that Jesus came for all people. And it's it's very, very exciting, right? That when you're taking the message, you can take it to all people. That's the good news, is that the light has come to the Gentiles, and so everyone can worship. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles, which is probably most of you, 
unless you have any, any Jewish in your blood. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling, where God lives by the Holy Spirit. So this is, just, this is just exciting news for us, right? I don't, we can't take for granted. I was really challenged this last, um, my spring quarter, I had this Christian ethics class, and, and he was really em- emphasizing reconciliation between races. And it's something that, truthfully, I'd always taken for granted. Because I'd grown up and I'd, I'd never, I'd never seen um, this. Um, I'd never had any anger or animosity in my heart towards any other race, and so I was just like, "Well," and so I was really naive because of that, you know. Um, and I think we can also take that for granted in the Christmas story, is this work that goes into reconciliation, and what Jesus is doing is making that possible, right? And then as he makes that possible, he's asking us, his people, to really, really bring that to fruition. As we do, as we continue to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want that now. And so to not only say it's possible, but to seek it. right? To, to seek in your life's reconciliation, not only between people, but really especially between races. right? Because there's still a lot of hurt there. Um, and, and that is part of the Christmas story. Right, is these wise men, these magi, magicians come from the east, and God's calling all people. And what's incredible about this, I think, is, is as we begin contemplating it, that Jesus, as we really understand the Christmas story, is calling us to do something that we're uncomfortable with, inherently. Um, and we see this, um, I think, best in the character of Herod. I th- because if we don't at all understand where Herod's coming from, I think... I think we'll usually um, we'll suppress a little bit of pride in our own lives and not understand that it's there. <laughs> um, so this is Herod. He comes and he hears from these wise men as they come that what's happened? <laughs> that there's another king. Right? And if you're a king, what would you think? Right? I'm going to take this guy out. Right? So oftentimes we think, oh, Herod, you're such a bad man, which he was a bad man. Well, <laughs> we'll give that to him. But, but sincerely, he was thinking, well, someone's trying to usurp my position of authority. Right? And that is still what keeps us from worshiping Jesus. And that's what keeps us from, I think, when we sing the Christmas songs over and over again, from being challenged afresh, and from things really like hurting us when they should hurt us. Right? Because um, part of the Christmas story should yearly, I believe, scrape open old wounds in us um, to increase the health in our lives, right? As we realize the vulnerability of Jesus, right? That Jesus is coming and he is saying, I am safe in heaven, I am secure in heaven, but I love you. And I want, to, I want to reconcile you to the Father. Right? That's where healing is, and so I'm going to come. Right? And the discomfort that he had to go through, and I think the discomfort that we have to go through to really understand what's happening there. 
right? And then to seek that healing, not only in our own lives, but the lives of others. So that is part of what makes us worship. When you hear the song, Oh, come let you faithful, and it just says, Oh, come let us adore him. Right? That's one of the reasons why we're coming to adore him. Man, because he, he, in Christ, is the ability for races and nations to be reconciled. Jesus is the answer for the individual person. Um, this one's a hard one to grasp, especially if we're used to the, the traditional Christian language of being born again, right? Which, which if you are in any way a rational person, if you heard the word born again, you'd think, that is crazy, right? <laughs> what does that mean? And that's the response that you get in the New Testament. That's, that's what's beautiful, I think, is, is the Bible is working through real emotion. We talk about that a lot here, like, we have to see that in the Bible or we're missing out on what the Bible's saying, is to Jesus starts his ministry, sits down with a guy named Nicodemus. And you guys are familiar with John 3.16, and this is, this is actually part of that portion of Scripture, where he sits down with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Jewish man who's grown up, and he's trying to figure out Jesus. He realizes that, I think he's beginning to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, you know, I realize you, you're, one, uh, you're the one who's come from God. And this is what Jesus tells him. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus very reasonably says, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Right? How is that possible? That just, that, that's crazy talk, right? I mean, if you begin thinking it out naturally, and this is what Jesus says, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life but the Holy Spirit can give birth to the spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And so Nicodemus says, following this further, how is this possible then? How, how, how is it possible? Jesus replied, well, you're a respected Jewish leader, and you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell, we tell you what we know and have seen, yet you won't believe our testimony. But you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things. How you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And so it's showing us that, that it's maybe not just talking about someone actually going to the womb again. Okay? I'm just going to run that by you. Hopefully you figured that out already. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake... In the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So what is he referencing here? He's referencing Jesus actually having to be raised up on the cross, and as we look to him, then we have life. And then he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever, whoever, right? Jew, Gentile, African American, British, Middle Eastern, whatever you are, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And that's the story of Christmas. Right? That, that you can be born again, not in a natural way, but that in Jesus you can have a fresh start. And there's a, a guy named Oswald Chambers who said it in this way, and this is beautiful. Think, 
Think of this in relationship to the photos that we, we looked at. He says, Have I allowed my personal human life to become a Bethlehem for the Son of God? Right? And that is, that is the essence of what it means to be born again. So Jesus was born, lived, and was put to death, and rose again so that you can be born again. Right? So that your heart can be Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? So, and if you say, no, there's conflict in my heart, yes, there's conflict in Bethlehem. Okay, well, there's large walls in my heart, yes, there's large walls in Bethlehem, right? There's checkpoints on the way in my heart, right? Well, so your, yes, your heart might experience the conflict, or even greater conflict, do you think, than what is still going on in the Middle East today. Right, but that, this, this is what we talk about when we talk about being born again, is that just as God entered the world, that by His Spirit, He can enter your life, right? <laughs> and make you new, Right? Not just offering reconciliation between races, but offering reconciliation between you and God. Right? Which is what you have needed. This is what, um, this is what the world needs right? for these walls to be torn down. And so that, that is what is so extraordinary about the Christmas story. Is that it does offer the answer. And sometimes that's hard to see because of the conflict. But this is the conflict. This is the conflict that Jesus was born into. Right? And I think this is so cool to, to link up you know, what was going on then with what was going on now. Because Jesus, this, this words he is speaking speak the same message of hope for you um, and those that understand worship. Okay? That was, that was the, the Magi, right? That was the shepherds. It was Simeon who, who saw it in this baby, this little baby who Simeon held in his arms or the wise men came and when they saw him, they weren't disappointed that it was a baby that they said, no, that is, that is the one who could save the world. And is, is miraculous. But, but in no smaller way does Jesus offer for you to be born again. Which is... Incredible. And that is the gift he's given you this Christmas. So I'll pray for us. And I, I encourage you guys, if you haven't received that gift, to, to do that, which he's offering to you. So let's pray. Father, thank you um, so much for the gift of Jesus. I, I pray, Father, just with open hands, we'll just receive it. That as we, um, as we go through this Christmas season, and we pray this every Christmas season, um, and it's cool that we can focus on this this time of year, um, and not forget Jesus was a baby, and he was born. And, but in the same way as we try to wrap our mind around that crazy fact that, that we also can understand that, that you intend for us to be born again, and by that have peace and experience the power of God for salvation. We just thank you so much, and we pray this.
In your loving name, amen.